0: Welcome everyone. This is Manny Fishman of the Buckhalter Law Firm, and we are conducting another podcast on real estate matters, this time with our special guest, Mike Cashin, a Senior Real Estate Manager at CBRE here in San Francisco. And we'll be talking about property management and how it's changed over the last several years and what we're likely to see in property management. Property management is one of those areas, which uh, it's really the conductor of the train. It's really the chef of the meal. It really guides what happens in the building. And it's so important. And I wanted to get Mike's perspective on it. So a little bit about Mike Cashin and why we're talking to him today. He started here in California in 1986 for Tishman Spire at one of the major office buildings Uh, in the Central Business District, 525 Market Street. He was there for 12 years. He then worked for another well-known property owner, Shorenstein Properties, for 11 years. So as you can see, Mike uh, had a lot of steady institutional experience. And then in 2004, he started going on a real roller coaster. And we'll let Mike talk about that. Uh, But he's now at CBRE, where he is now currently the senior property manager at another first class, Class A office building at 655 Montgomery Street. Mike's career and my career have intersected at many points. And now that Mike has announced that he's retiring, I thought it would be a great opportunity to try and download some lessons learned and the changes Mike has seen in managing Class A office buildings in San Francisco. So, Mike, it's hard to know where to start, but I think the best first question uh, that would trigger our discussion is, how has your job changed in the 40 years that you've been in office property management?
1: I would say that, I mean, I I think the way I normally put it is that when I came into the industry, and I started back in Chicago with Tishman Spire, they uh, um, transferred me out here in 86. I'd say when I first came in the industry, my job was 70% operations, 30% financial. Today, that's more or less reversed. And I'd say my job is 70% financial, 30% operations. Uh, I had somebody recently say to me that, you know, with COVID for the last year, what do you guys do all day? And the financial reporting doesn't stop. And- do, you
0: think, do you think that is due to the nature of the change in the way real estate is now owned or are there other factors involved too?
1: I think I think part of it's the way it's owned. I think you know a lot of it is while you still have some short-term or long-term holds, you see a lot more short-term holds. Uh, you have funds and that sort of thing where they seem to be structured for a two or three-year hold. So financial obviously becomes much more important than that short of a period of time. I think that really is a change that
0: you and I have seen over our careers in real estate. Shorenstein, as an owner, uh, as many people know, are, was just traditionally long-term hold. It was a family. It held real estate. Even the old insurance companies held real estate as part of their long-term portfolio. But the new players, are really holding it for different types of returns and for different portfolio diversification than it used to be and that's changed the way you have to keep your books and records and what you're really what metrics you're following.
1: Oh yes, yeah. Uh, I mean it's just uh you yeah, know it's a lot of I think, you know, the reports are a lot more detailed, specific, I think. And I think some of that's just got to do with, with IT, with computers to this point, that you can get the information that before you really couldn't. I think a lot more was open to gut. It it kind of leads to
0: a a topic that you and I also talk about, which is how office buildings have changed. Just the way the occupancies have changed, the amenities that are inside, what people think about office buildings, and i'm I'm assuming that crosses over both in your duties as operations, but also in the financial reporting that you have to do.
1: Correct. Correct. Uh, there's a lot more of a, a kind of a hospitality aspect to um, to office buildings, where I think when I first came into it, it's you know it really was you know getting people in, getting people out on a daily basis tenants these days are expecting more you know in the way of like tenant lounges building conference rooms um fitness centers that sort of thing
0: if you could talk a bit more about that i think some of the owners that you have worked for emphasize that more than others
1: yes exactly and i think it seems to be yeah I'd, i'd say kind of the more institutional um owners uh the tishman spires the shorts it's a Currently, I mean, I'm working with Beacon that they want to they, they emphasize a much more hospitality, I think, than than other kinds of owners. I, I could be dead wrong on that. It's been a while since I've, worked, yeah, one of the insurance companies or that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of what I've
0: seen. And I think that changes your duties too as a property manager. That wasn't the way uh, the traditional property manager role was. It's now a bit more external facing, whereas before it really was just internal facing. Right. Let me ask you specifically then, how have office buildings changed and how do you think they will change coming out of COVID-19 and how will that impact property management?
1: Well, I think the operations of office buildings have become much more sophisticated with the, uh, you know, automation systems. Uh, I think, you know, security um, after 9-11 became a very, uh, I mean, it was always important, but a, a, a much, yeah, you a know, much bigger priority. For example, I have an elevator mod program going now, uh, elevator mod going right now where we're adding destination dispatch, um, which will be better secure our floors. Uh, but it became important to us even prior to that to put in as a temporary security measure a card access system in the one and a half years that it will take to get the uh, destination dispatch up and working. Talk about post-COVID. I am very reluctant to make any kind of predictions, um, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but you know I remember after nine eleven, and if you remember after 9-11, you know, everybody was talking about, you know, the the high rise office building was dead. No one is going to want to rent space above the seventh floor. No one is going to want to live above the seventh floor of an office building. Well, you know, that went away pretty darn quick. And um, so I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, I mean, a lot of it, I just got through reading an article about, you know, um, in the business times, uh, you know, working, people working from home and they expecting a lot more. I really think we need six months to a year before before we really know what that, what, you know, for the dust to settle, to see really what the future is gonna hold. I think, uh, frankly, I feel kind of burned because every prediction I've made about during this pandemic period has been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one. You're
0: not the yes. only one. No. No. But I do think the market is um, is stronger than we think uh, on that. Yeah. And uh, yes. But something you mentioned about you know elevator mods, the access uh, issues. I think the other area where clearly your expertise has changed is contracts. The sophistication of these building system contracts has really changed.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, an awful awful lot of things were done on a handshake for a long time. And um, it almost felt I can remember coming in and wanting certain contractors who've been around or vendors who've been around for a long time and wanting to get a contract put in place. And they almost seemed insulted. And uh, that's now the way that way business is done.
0: It's not the way business is done. And um, just speaking from the lawyer's perspective, it it's gotten very sophisticated in the schedules in the pricing in the timing how many elevators can be down at one time uh the access cards at uh, the level of detail and it could relate to the fact that uh computers now are able to just slice and dice everything that we do go down to that level Ah, uh, because Correct. the but but it is a total change in the way we've negotiated contracts, in the way you and I interact when we deal with vendors, even just on your end dealing with property managers, the amount of internal backup you need to get contracts authorized has clearly changed.
1: Exactly, exactly, and um, yeah, the and the bid pro- and the other thing we're going into contracts, the bid process has gotten a lot more sophisticated. I think there's a lot more leeway you could work in the bid process um, previously than you than now. I think a lot more of it's more sophisticated. I think there were also instances in the past where where there were issues that that needed to be addressed.
0: You know, one thing I do want to talk to you about. You've worked for CBRE uh, since uh, 2014 at various buildings in San Francisco uh, and for different ownerships who do you consider that you work for? Who are you an employee of? And I ask you that because I know you're very loyal to your buildings. And I think that's what distinguishes you as the property manager. But in doing that, who do you think you work for?
1: My employer is CBRE, but I really take my direction for the most part from from the building owner. They set the rules. And we, you know, we as CBRE operate within those rules. And, you know, fortunately, CBRE allows enough flexibility that we can work within the different owners' parameters and still maintain CBRE's integrity as well. And I think the proof is in the pudding. You got
0: moved to a different building a year ago for the same ownership. And that shows how valuable you are when uh, a client that you're working for uh, acquires another asset in the, same, uh, in the same city.
1: Right, I mean, they, they seem to like me. <laughs>
0: uh, and I think it's more than just that they hired CBRE, yeah. but they say, not only did we hire CBRE, but we got Mike and he understands our systems and literally watches out for us as the owner. And um, I mean, for people listening, that is the value that a good property manager brings to ownership.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I feel fortunate too, from my experience with Tishman Spire and um, Shorenstein that I think I've, I know I I've learned things from the owner's perspective, having worked for an owner manager, situation that I can kind of go come in and a uh, a third party management function but work with the owner kind of knowing their needs and see uh Tish Inspire and uh short Esteem train me
0: well for that. If you were mentoring a younger person coming in today in property management, what advice would you have?
1: Be flexible. Be flexible. Take advantage of the community, both within the company you work for, and within the larger property management, the BOMA and real estate community. I uh, One of the things that I kind of feel strongly about when I've had people working for me, for example, I try to put, yeah, I, I encourage them to take the BOMA RPA courses, for example, but I don't want them to do them necessarily online or at-home study. I want them to go in person and do the networking and meet their peers. It's been invaluable to me. I mean, I came here, I didn't know a soul from Chicago. And it really was through BOMA classes and luncheons and events and things like that, that I really got to know my peers. And uh, while we use the word BOMA, and I hope
0: many listeners know that, acronym. We're talking about the Building Owners and Managers Association. Both Mike and I are involved with the San Francisco Building Owners and Managers Association. And, um, you know, it's the same thing I would tell younger lawyers, too. It's the community that you meet through those industry associations that when you have a problem, you can just call someone up and say, what are you doing? And it's hard to do that if you're just taking an online class.
1: Right, yeah, when I actually came here with Tishman Speyer, I was the only, I was the only person on the West Coast, so, so there was nobody local to that. back.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how um, energy management, technology, access control, and you know utility management have impacted property management over your career?
1: I think it's it's it's, it's utility, energy control, utility. I mean, it's actually, it's watched much closer today than it was. I think owners are, building owners are much more open to um, to making the capital investment in building automation systems, in recognizing both, you know, wanting to reduce operating costs through energy, but also to um, an understanding of what their role is in the greater society, in uh Reducing energy footprint, carbon footprint. I think building owners, as a whole, have looked at their their role in the greater community or the more global community much more so than they did, say, 30, 35 years ago.
0: That's a very good comment. It um, it's uh, I agree with that, uh, and I'm not sure if the local and state uh, governmental agencies are pushing us in that direction, which is part of it, uh, and, and part of it is the new generation of owners that actually acknowledge that as something important. But both of that is uh, something that falls for implementation and on reporting on someone like you as the senior property manager.
1: Right, right. And and also you had talked about access control, and I mean, that's just from, you know, both a liability standpoint and, you know, and tenants are concerned about it. I mean, it's it's a reaction to your tenants um, and their security needs. Well, we've actually spent
0: a good 20 minutes of time just going over uh, uh, property management issues. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And I hope everyone has appreciated uh, the time we've spent with Mike Cashin and his uh, views on property management. Uh, Thank you, everyone.